Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 43, The Tatar's Reign. First, as always, thanks so much to Dmitry Kachevsky and Bryn Tales for supporting the podcast on Patreon. Uh, also, as you notice, this episode is a bit late than anticip- later than anticipated because, well, I had a birthday last weekend and then the wedding of some dear friends the weekend before that. So big congratulations to Siri and Sneji. This is actually a wedding of someone I met through the podcast, a listener. So that was really nice and a reminder that ah, I'd always love to meet you guys. Uh, I clearly have some really awesome listeners and it's always nice to get in touch. So, straight into the podcast. So we left off last time, with Bulgaria in the midst of yet another chaotic civil war. The uprising of Ivailo saw a peasant swineherd become a great general, leading his army of devoted followers to victory after victory. However, in spite of all this, the Byzantines and Tatars working together managed to install Ivanisen III as Tsar in Tornovo. But he quickly saw his chances collapse, and with Ivailo at the walls, he fled to Constantinople. Then, the boyars elected one of their own, George Turter, as Tsar. Now, Ivailo had to decide what to do next. His choice, I have to say, is a little shocking. Because he decided to turn north and seek help from Nogai Khan, the Tatar leader and Byzantine ally who had been fighting him all these years. In other words, Ivailo went and asked for help from his greatest enemy, the man he'd been fighting his whole life. This peasant Tsar was well received by the Tatar Khan. When the Byzantines got wind of his plan, Ivanasen III was also sent to Nogai to seek the Tatar's aid in returning him to the throne. With many suitors all seeking his attention, Nogai was hesitant to commit anywhere. No doubt it was a bit awkward with Ivailo and Ivanisen III both in the same court, pressing their cases to each beat Tsar. This went on for months, until one evening at a banquet, with Ivailo seated on one side and Ivanisen III on the other, Nogai, apparently quite intoxicated, abruptly stood up and stated, quote, He is an enemy of my father, the emperor, meaning Michael VIII of Byzantium, and does not deserve to live. And so, he ordered Ivailo's execution. He was killed right there on the spot. And just like that, the peasant Tsar's story ended. Now, what happened to his daughter, who should have been born uh, to the imprisoned Maria, is unknown. No one really knows whatever happened to the girl. But that, that is the end of Ivailo. And so, does this mean that Nogai is ready to support Ivanisen III? Not quite. In fact, Nogai was more or less ready to kill him too, but he was convinced not to at the last moment. Seeing no way forward, Ivan III returned to his Anatolian estates where he had grown up and died 23 years later in obscurity. His children would find roles in Byzantine history, uh, but that branch of the Asin family would never again return to Bulgaria to do really anything. Uh, as far as we are concerned, that's the end of them. And so, just like that, in 1280, Tsar George Turter found himself in an unexpected situation. He was ruling unopposed in Turnival. 
So I'm now going to refer to him as Tsar George I, or just Tsar George, uh, though he did technically marry into the Asin dynasty. So we refer to his house as Tartar, but he was married into the house of Asin. Um, but a quick point about the Tartar family, his family. They were of Cuman origin. Uh, it's believed that they once ruled in the South Caucasus as part of the Cuman Kipchak confederation before that confederation was destroyed by the mongols uh, and so they had arrived originally as refugees noble refugees but still refugees and upon arriving in bulgaria they had risen to the very top of the boyars in about four decades and had become tsar so not a bad story for refugees arriving fleeing the mongols anyways his first task as uh, the first task for Tsar George I was to deal with the Byzantines, because as you can imagine, the Byzantines were very unfriendly to him at this point. So he sought an alliance for protection. Now, the logical candidates were King Charles I of Sicily and Stefan Dragutin of Serbia, as well as John of Thessaly. These were all enemies of the Byzantines anyways. And so an alliance was established between those four in 1281 though these allies could do nothing to protect against ongoing raids made by the Tatars at the request of the Byzantines on Bulgaria throughout this period. However, it's worth noting that Nogai was becoming more independent and more confident around these years. In fact, by 1285, he was making raids on Byzantine territory as well, showing that their alliance was gradually fading away as Nogai realized he didn't really have that much to gain from it anymore. By 1282, the Sicilians were out of the alliance, distracted by a succession crisis back home. That same year, Michael VIII, the emperor in Byzantium, he died, bringing his son Andronicus II to the throne in Constantinople. But the early years of Tsar George's reign, aside from the brutal Tatar raids and Byzantine hostility, actually didn't really bring any new conflicts. Things weren't quite as bad as they could have been. By 1284, Possibly as a result of those Tatar raids, George actually shifted towards a policy to promote peace. He accomplished this by marrying his daughter to the king of Serbia, further reinforcing that alliance, and signing a peace treaty with the Byzantines. So, the treaty saw the Byzantines finally recognize uh, the Tsar, George, and give him the title of despot in the Byzantine canon, effectively ending a possibility of the Byzantines continuing to push the claim of Ivanasen III, though obviously he had more or less given up himself. This also opened the chance to resolve some of the awkward issues that Tsar George had. Because you see, his first wife and their son were still held as prisoners in Constantinople, while his second wife, who was the sister of Ivanasen III, I know it just never stops being awkward in these little family dramas, that was his tie to the legitimate Asin dynasty I mentioned before. So he's a Tartar, but he's married into the house of Asin. Well, yeah, he was actually pretty unpopular in Turnival because uh, of his brother's rule, uh, because of uh, his wife's brother uh, ruling briefly. So when Ivanasen III was ruling in Turnival, he was very unpopular. He was seen as a Byzantine stooge. And so having Tsar George be married to this man's sister made him, by association, not super popular as well with the boyars as well as with the Bulgarian Orthodox Church, because they were of the opinion that George's first marriage was still valid, and therefore the second one was not. So, to make everyone happy, 
Kira Maria, Ivanasen III's sister, well, she was sent back to the Byzantines. Their marriage was more or less annulled. While Tsar George's first wife, Maria, and his son, Theodor Svetoslav, were returned to Turnival from capture in Byzantium. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice peace treaty. Everyone seems to be happy. Everyone's getting what they want. Things seem to be going pretty smoothly. Well, around the 12, early 1280s, uh, there are also some important geopolitical shifts happening in Serbia. See, that country had made a marriage alliance with Hungary and expanded its territory deep into Macedonia, even moving its capital to Skopje. Now, no doubt this raised alarms in Bulgaria because having the Serbs take lands, which Bulgaria had often controlled previously, and moving its capital closer to Bulgaria seemed a bit threatening, even though Bulgaria was on good terms with Serbia. You can imagine, any neighbor, it doesn't matter if you're on really great terms, it's just, it doesn't make you feel great if you both kind of have previously controlled the same bit of land. It just uh, opens the door for conflict. But fortunately for Tsar George, this move also brought Serbia into conflict with Byzantium, and so the two states went to war, with Serbia escaping a full Byzantine invasion owing to the death of Emperor Michael, as I mentioned before, just as preparations were going underway. So, Serbia and its ally Hungary, uh, were, they were also kind of dealing with raids from these independent states between Bulgaria and Hungary along the Dan Danube, uh, which I mentioned before, which kind of prevents Hungary during this period from being involved in Bulgarian politics because they have these buffer states between them. So, everything's a bit chaotic in Hungary and, uh, and Serbia, although still Serbia is very powerful at this point, powerful enough to really take on Byzantium. So, what, yeah, what all this adds up to is that, fortunately for Bulgaria, Serbia has really no interest in conflict. Uh, because, yeah, this could have easily been the case. So seeing as both Bulgaria and Serbia had really bigger issues to deal with elsewhere, the two concluded a marriage alliance in 1284 when Tsar George's daughter Anna married the Serbian king. Just made sense. You know, they had some overlapping territorial possible claims, but they both had bigger fish to fry. But... All this doesn't mean that Bulgaria is quite safe or peaceful, because in 1285, yet another devastating Tatar raid by Nogai finally brought Tsar George to accept Tatar sovereignty and agreed to pay Nogai tribute. As a part of this deal, George's daughter Helena was sent to marry Nogai's son Chaka, while George's son and co-emperor Theodor Svetoslav was sent as a hostage. Now, I just mentioned Theodor Svetoslav recently, but we really got to feel bad for this boy because he had just spent five years, uh, more than five years, as a hostage in Constantinople and had been back in Turnival with his mother for maybe a year before being sent off to the Tatar capital to be a captive yet again. Just, just the poor kid. He can't catch a break. But with these three agreements, Bulgaria returns to a kind of normalcy. But to be clear, it is a weak normalcy. George Tartar may rule unopposed, but Bulgaria remains quite weak. The agreement with Nogai stops most of the Tatar raids, but there are still smaller ones by groups of Tatars that are not under Nogai's control. Now wait, but isn't Bulgaria at peace with all of its neighbors? I don't understand. What's the problem? Why are they so weak? Well, yes, even with nearly all the neighboring conflicts over, even with most of the Tatar raids over, George Tartar is still unable to exert firm control over the interior state and the boyars. And this is a critical thing. It's a, it's a, a kind of trend that we've noticed 
throughout much of the Second Bulgarian Empire, right? The boyars have more and more power, and it's becoming more difficult for the central uh, authority in Tornovol to exert control. So this is that result, that even when you have an unopposed czar, even when you have peace with your neighbors, it's not enough to create a really strong and prosperous state automatically. But still, Bulgaria has some breathing room from major outside enemies. And it can kind of handle some internal divisions and weaknesses if that's the situation. So this was shown when around this period, several boyars actually began to break away from the control of Turnival. So this again shows how weak the country was internally, even when it didn't really face any major external enemies. The first to break away was a boyar named Smilets, whose territory was between the Balkan Mountains and the Srednogora, where now you'll find towns like Koprivchica and Karlovo in what is jokingly called the Valley of Guns and Roses, because it's this valley where his territory was is currently the center for Bulgarian rose oil production, as well as Bulgarian small arms production. And frankly, it's just too good of a nickname to give up. Uh, it's just good. But anyway, so... Smilets breaks away more from central control, starts doing his own thing. So, okay, the question, the obvious question is, why wouldn't Tsar George just crush him? Just go send the army? Well, historian John Fine's best guess is that Smilets had Byzantine backing, and his territory ran right along the Byzantine border. Additionally, at some point during this decade, Smilets married the new emperor, Andronicus II's, cousin. So this further kind of reinforced his Byzantine alliance. So, you know, it put Tsar George in an awkward situation. You know, okay, so internal territory, internal boyars are breaking away, but unless he wants another war with Constantinople, which he most definitely does not, he just has to grin and bear it. There's really not much he can do. Again, just the, the awkwardness and the weakness of Bulgaria's position at this period. Around this time as well, some adjacent territory also broke away from Turnoval. This time it was next door to Smilets, between the modern towns of Kazanluk and Sleven, running along the southern slopes of the Balkan Mountains, leading towards the Black Sea. Now, this breakaway was a little bit different, because the boyar in charge here was actually George's own brother Eltimir. So, it seems a bit confusing, right? Uh, but what we think is that this bit of semi-independence may have actually been designed to strengthen the royal family. Uh, because this semi-independent state would be loyal not to Turnival, but more loyal to Tsar George personally. And so it would kind of increase his personal leverage uh, over any potential threats to the throne. But in any case, in any case, uh, even absent foreign wars or interference, Tsar George just doesn't have the resources to really pull the state together. Now compare this to previous centuries, when Bulgaria is always kind of oscillating between being very powerful and taking a lot of territory, and then being very weak and losing that territory. We've seen this time and time again in the First, uh, first Bulgarian Empire and in the first part of the Second Bulgarian Empire. But now things seem to be changing a bit, because the status quo seems to be between losing territory and holding on to territory. I mean, you'll notice, you know, when Bulgaria takes some territory, they just sort of retake a little bit that they maybe already had, but nothing significant. Uh, it's already been many, many decades since anything significant happened in terms of the, the state expanding. But it wasn't so long ago that Bulgaria was poised to take Constantinople from the Latins. Remember, uh, you know, this is, again, only decades ago when Bulgaria seemed in a good position. But it's ironic because now, at this period, 
The idea that it's possible that Bulgaria might actually uh, work with some other states to take Constantinople and become some new Byzantine state, well, that just seems very, very, very far off the radar. But at the very least, there's no existential threat at this moment. Now, things seem to have been fairly quiet until 1292, when a huge Tatar raid led to Tsar George Tertar and his uh, brother Eltimir fleeing the country to Constantinople. Now, just why they did this isn't exactly clear. Uh, It's possible that the boyars lost confidence in George and he feared for his life. Some some speculate that it was actually Nogai who decided to press for George to leave, but this seems a bit weird because George had been a very loyal vassal. It always paid his uh, tribute and everything. Well, one of the better theories as to why on earth this happened, why Tsar George was forced to flee in response to this raid, was that Nogai was actually supporting a rival candidate, who I'll discuss in a second, in exchange for a deal which had that rival candidate agreeing to give Nogai even more tribute. Now, this would also explain why the Byzantines initially refused to take Tsar George and his brother in, because they feared that doing so would affect their relationship with Nogai, and they did not want him mad at them. So as a result, the Imperial brothers were forced to sort of wait in Adrianople until they were finally allowed to settle in Anatolia. George Turter had been Tsar for 12 years. And there were years I think you couldn't call a great success, but considering the dire country or the dire condition that Bulgaria was in when he came to the throne, he was a fairly competent Tsar. He did what he could in the circumstances. But... Okay, so who was placed on the throne in Tornovo in his place? Well, it was none other than Smilets, that boyar who was said to be from a fine family, though we don't know anything about his family, um, and who had become kind of semi-independent just a few years earlier. And what this meant was that we've now gone from the House of Asen to the House of Tertar to now the House of Smilets in just a few short years. But so what it seems like probably Smilets made a deal with the Byzantines as well as with the uh, the Tatars to put him on the throne, agreed that he'd be a better candidate for everyone, and he just went for it. It's a pattern we've seen more often in Byzantine history, right? Someone manages to promise everything to anyone, or everything to everyone rather, and sort of gets into power this way. So Smilets is Tsar. Now during the years of his rule, Bulgaria is supposed to become even more loyal to both the Byzantines and the Tatars, which it's hardly surprising considering how Smilets got to the throne. But really, his policies seem to him, besides that, more or less the same as those of George, even to the point of marrying his daughter to the future king of Serbia. Uh, somewhere often, Anatolia hipster ex-Tsar George points out that he was marrying his daughter to the king of Serbia way before it was cool, but he does pretty much all the things George did. So kind of taking all this into account, well, that's about all Smilets does. He has a quiet six-year reign until he dies in 1298. Really, almost nothing happens while he's Tsar. When he dies, though, Bulgaria returns to that oh-so-familiar state of having a young child ruling a Tsar with his mother as regent. This time, it's the little, well, the little kid, the child, is Tsar Ivan II, that's Smilets' son, and... Of course, as you can imagine, once again, as always, intrigue is swirling around them. Also, kind of adding to the irony, the mother in question is another Byzantine woman. Though we don't know her name, but still, Smilets' wife was Byzantine, again, the cousin of the emperor. And so, 
for the second time in not so many years, we have a Byzantine woman ruling Bulgaria on behalf of her infant son. And, well, we know how this goes. There's not exactly a big surprise that there were risings and rebellions against the queen regent. Namely, by the brothers of Smilets, Radoslav and Vojislav. But they were defeated, and they fled to the Byzantines who took them in. Then, in 1299, Nogai Khan was killed in an attempt to take uh, complete control of the Golden Horde. Now remember, Nogai Khan, he was an important Khan in the, the Golden Horde, but he didn't run things. And so he was trying to make a power play to make himself more powerful. Didn't work out. He's killed in battle. As a result, his portion of the Golden Horde of the Tatars splinters, and a large number of his fighters decide to join his son, Chaka, in an invasion of a weakened Bulgaria to take control of the throne from the young child Tsar Ivan II and his Byzantine mother. Just all the stars seem to have lined in this. So the two of them acted quickly, attempting to secure an alliance with Tsar George Tertar, still in exile in Anatolia, and his brother uh, Eltimir. So he marries the young Tsar's sister uh, and becomes a close ally of their family against Chaka. Now, what all made all this a bit odd was that Eltimir's nephew uh, the, and Tsar George's son, Theodor Svetslav, was actually with Chaka because, remember, he was a prisoner of Nogai. Remember, yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's just the whole point here is that nobody is a hostage like Theodor. He's just always a hostage. Uh, but, so it's a weird situation. Once again, if you want to better understand everyone's family relationship, I highly recommend going to the website and looking at the family tree of the House of Asen. This will make all of this make much more sense. So the queen regent, this Byzantine woman, is attempting to marry the powerful Serbian king Milutin. Uh, but he decides he doesn't need her and he marries a Byzantine woman instead. And so that attempt to find an alliance and keep her son on the throne falls through. So. Ultimately, the young Tsar and his mother, they can't get any real allies against Chaka, no one powerful. And so as the Tatar army moves into Bulgaria, Theodor Svetoslav negotiates with the various boyars to secure the throne for Chaka. And as a result, the gates of Turnovo are thrown open and Ivan II... Ivan and Ivan II flees to the lands of Eltimir uh, before ultimately living out the rest of his life in Byzantine exile and becoming a monk. So, we've got another coup on our hands. And now, Chaka, he's the Tsar. Now, again, remember, he is related to the Bulgarian royal family because he married the daughter of Tsar George Tertar, um, making Theodor Svetoslav his brother-in-law, just for reference. Again, look at the website. But Chaka, a Tatar, is now Tsar of Bulgaria. And... You might think, okay, maybe this is good news. You know, say what you will about his brutality and his ultimate death on the battlefield, but Chaka's father, Nogai, was doubtless a strong leader and was very much able to exert his will over his enemies and his friends, for that matter. So maybe now it was time for his son to exert strong leadership in Turnival. Well, that was about to be tested because the leader of the Golden Horde, the man who had killed Nogai, a Khan named Tokta, was about, not about to allow the son of his enemy to take over an entire state just to his south. Absolutely not. And so, just as soon as Chaka acquired the throne, the Golden Horde, the proper, big, full Golden Horde, invaded. Now, this was incredibly dangerous for Bulgaria. Sure, Nogai had invaded uh, and raids and stuff plenty of times, but this was different. Tokta was not someone you messed with. 
He was the great-grandson of Batu Khan, and the great-great-great-grandson of Genghis Khan himself. He had recently united most of the lands of the steppe, and quite frankly posed an existential threat to Bulgaria. Now for that reason, Theodor Svetoslav decided that he had to act. Sure, Chaka was his brother-in-law. Sure, he had helped Chaka win the throne just months earlier, but Theodor, he had higher loyalties. Maybe to the state, maybe just to himself, we don't know. But he deposed Chaka, threw him in prison, and had him strangled there. His head was sent to Tokta to prove Theodor's loyalty. Chaka had been Tsar for mere months. His decline in popularity had been swift. As right as he took the throne, his Tatar soldiers settled into plundering the land as that he had just become ruler of. So, Theodor Svetoslav's gamble worked. With any connection to the family of Nogai gone, Toksa called off the invasion. There was no reason for the Golden Horde to continue invading now that his enemy's son was dead. Now, a quick note here. John Fine mentions that the man who executed Chaka was apparently Jewish. Now, I don't really know why uh, historians decided to mention this, but they did. And so I can count this as one of the first times that Jews are actually mentioned in Bulgarian history. And they're going to pop up throughout Bulgarian history for the duration until today. So I thought it was worth noting that this is, as far as I can tell, maybe the first time they're mentioned in any of the histories here. So just something interesting. So the death of Chaka finally ends this full Tatar domination of Bulgaria. Uh, the state, the Bulgarian state, no longer has to send tribute to them, as the family members that had dominated them were now gone. So now, Theodor Svetoslav, son of George Tartar, rises to take the throne of Turnovo in the year 1300. He had been a prisoner for most of his life. So, we'll see how he does. First on his agenda, well, again, you can imagine someone whose father was thrown into exile, who's been prisoner most of his life, well, He's got a couple bones to pick with people. So he sets off correcting what he sees as the wrongs done to his family. First on that list is throwing the Patriarch of Turnoval, Joachim, off a cliff. Because he had supported Smilets' overthrow of his father, Tsar George. And so, well, as far as uh, Theodor Svetoslav was concerned, Joachim had to go. Then... In 1301, Theodor Svetoslav exchanged high-ranking Byzantine prisoners for his father, Tsar George, who again had been in exile for years in Anatolia. Now, we don't know where he settled, but he seems to have just settled into a nice, relaxing retirement. The Rock Church of Ivanovo, a site I highly recommend seeing, I, I saw it about seven years ago, it's sort of a church carved into a bare rock face just to the south of Ruse. Well, it mentions his death there in about 1308. So he lived out another, say, seven years in comfortable retirement. Now, at the same time, Tsar Theodore made peace with his uncle Eltimir, causing Ivan II, Ivan II sorry, to flee the lands of Eltimir and go to Constantinople. So again, I mentioned that before, and Ivan II dies as a monk in 1330. Also in 1301, Tsar Theodore defeats and subdues Vosil, who was Tsar Smilets' brother, uh, in his semi-independent state, as well as Eltimir. So, 
Tsar Theodore, within a fairly short period of time, he gets a deal with the Byzantines. He kills his enemies in Turnival. He goes around kind of uh, attacking and subduing all these semi-independent states. But the Byzantines have their own plans. Because you'll remember, uh, Michael Asen II, son of Constantine Tich, who fled with his mother to Constantinople back when Ivailo was winning all of his victory in the late 1270s. So, yeah, again, look back on the family tree and everything, see who these guys are. Well, Michael Asen II advanced towards Bulgaria at the head of a Byzantine army in 1302. But he failed. He wanted to become Tsar. He had a family claim and everything. We don't really have any details why he failed, but he did. And so Michael Asen II, who was once a child Tsar, just like uh, Ivan II was, he vanishes from the pages of history. He fails in this invasion to retake his throne, and we never hear from him again. So now, in 1302, Theodor Sviatoslav is Tsar. He's secure on the throne. He's on good terms with the Tatars. The Hungarians aren't a concern because, again, the presence of those small border states preventing them from interfering in Bulgarian politics. The Serbs and the Byzantines are well, not on great terms, but there are no imminent threats there, especially after that Byzantine army with the pretender on the throne had been defeated recently. And at the same time, because Tsar Theodore was able to exert control over those semi-independent states along the border, he was, he was centralizing control in Turnival more than we've seen in decades. And lastly, there was no real problem with the Tatars. He wasn't sending a tribute away. And so, the beginning of Theodore's reign is filled with promise. Now, we just have to see if those promises can be kept. This episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. And that's all, folks. So, check us out. Check out the website. You know, write us a review. Get in touch with me. Check us out on Patreon, all the stuff, you know what to do. So, in the meantime, uspech, or in English, good luck. <laughs>